is good. I'm not like Jared. I like to be a little closer. Good morning. Thanks for that enthusiastic response. Um, I don't know why. I'm not sick or anything. My voice is a little bit weak, so if I crack or anything, it's not puberty. I think I've made it through that. It's just voices going out. Um, but I'm going to preach either way. So I'm excited to do this. Uh, I'm very excited to be given this opportunity to know that there's more in the future. is even more exciting. I love to share from God's Word, and my prayer is that we would be equipped and encouraged by the Word of God to, to go out to be the people He's called us to be. That we'd allow the Spirit to move in us, to conform us to the image of Christ, that we're not dependent on our own skills and abilities, though we see God has gifted us in those ways. We're fully dependent on the Spirit. So even if we stutter and stumble our way through all of this, God is still God and He still will be glorified. And lives will be changed, lives will be saved because the victory is already assured through what Christ has done. And so I want to start there. I want to start with the gospel. God is more real than reality. That is ridiculous. The, the things in this earth seem real to us, but our God is more real. He's beyond it. He's never had a beginning. He will never have an end. This is, a, this is the God we worship. And that has to sink in. We have to see this God, the, the creator of all things, this, this God who's not just the creator of all things, but He's ruling sovereignly over all things. So, so subatomic particles and galaxies, God is the God of all of these things, and He has orchestrated it, and He has ordained it to be so, and, and He has gone through the work, as we see in Genesis, of creating it with intention, with purpose, the purpose to glorify Himself. Our God is about His glory, His name, His renown, and that's what we're celebrating, that He would invite us into that. And so not only did He create atoms and, and stars and planets, but He created Adam. That was coincidence, didn't plan it. And Eve in the garden. He created man and woman. And He created us in His image. And that's significant. We're created in the image of God. And so as we work through who God is, we see the image we were created to be. But it didn't stay that way long because though we were created to glorify God, to worship Him with everything we are, immediately, I mean, two chapters into the book of Genesis, that comes apart in chapter 3. Because man, as we still do today in the garden, chose to believe the lies of the serpent, the enemy, who told them, you can be like God. I mean, he, he starts with this kind of truth and leaves out a bunch of downhill stuff and just leaves them to believe it could be better than perfect. And so they go after it and they buy into it and they, they feel the shame after they've sinned. And we still feel shame after we sin, trying to hide these things when the gospel is at work in our lives to expose these dark things. But it didn't, it didn't just happen that way because there's nothing we can do to just make it happen that way. Christ had to do the, that work, and that's further down the road. So back in the garden, we see Adam and Eve buried in their shame, covered in fig leaves. God shows up, asks them where they are as if He doesn't know. This question of location, where are you? A question we can ask one another, where are you spiritually? Where are you emotionally? And we need to reveal to each other where we are. And when we reveal those things, the gospel shines in, but we're not there yet. Back in the garden, we see that they are ashamed before God. 
And, and they are not only ashamed, but they're trying to pass the buck. It was, it was her. Well, it was the serpent. They're, they're trying to cover up these things, and we still do the same thing. In fact, we want to control our lives because we see there's something wrong. We feel that shame. We feel there's something wrong, and we're trying to fix it. So we take control of our lives as if we could fix it, even though we know we can't. And, and the way we know we can't is the anxiety and the fear that we feel as well. We want control, we want to fix it, but we're buried in anxiety and fear about life because we see we're not in control. We can't do it. And so we try to, to fix that problem as well. We seek satisfaction. Where do, we, where do we try to find it? In the things in this world. We're finding a way to ease the pain. We're finding a way to comfort ourselves. We're looking at things, we're doing things, we're tasting things, we're trying things, trying to to fix the fear and anxiety caused by the understanding that we don't have control, caused by the failure to trust God. So all of that is our misunderstanding of who this God is. The only reason we have all of that trouble is because we don't see God for who He is. And so we've taken this all back to created in the image of God. And we're spending some time walking through that last two months it's only been two sermons, but it's been two months. And today we're looking at the three aspects of who this God is. We know our God exists in Trinity. Now that is an incredibly confusing thing. I would say top two most confusing things about our God, or mysterious is a better word, about our God. And, and if, you, if you try to understand it like an egg with the shell, a yolk, and a white, that's wrong. Don't go there. I mean, if you've used that analogy, I don't mean to offend you. Let's stay away from things like, okay, well, he's liquid, he's gas, and he's solid. Just like water can be in three phases. That's not it. And it's not like three-in-one shampoo, con- conditioner, and body wash. They don't make that. But if they did, you should buy it for me because it would be way easier to shower. That is not the Trinity, okay? It's, it's beyond that. It's, it's, it can be that but more because they're the same, but they're... That they're different. It's not three gods either, so we can't go to that extreme. It's just this, this swinging, this balance, this understanding that God is beyond what we can comprehend. But we see Him as Father, we see Him as Son, Christ, and we see Him as the Spirit. And so Jared, the last two sermons has walked with you guys, with us guys, through this God, uh, the Son, and God, the Spirit. We see that we are serving as Christ came and demonstrated service, even to the point of giving up His life. And we see that the Spirit came when Christ ascended and He he empowered us to take this gospel truth that Christ demonstrated and died and rose to demonstrate to a people who are just as lost and just as broken as we are. We are empowered by the Spirit to be missionaries. We serve like Christ served. And God the Father as we're in His image as well, makes us family. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And we need to see that this is our vision as the crossing. This is our vision as Christians, that we are a family of missionary servants, making disciples that make disciples that make disciples, being in missional community that plant missional communities that plant missional communities. And then we gather to worship this God. That's simple, but it's incredibly complex. That's why we're taking the fall to break that down for you guys. And for us, it's going to be good for all of us. Um, but I want, I want to make some things clear in case they're not 
uh, Jared, Scott, and I don't believe that we are the head of the church. I don't know if you are under that impression, but we see that we are just as much a part of the church as you are. We do believe God has appointed us and equipped us and given us gifts and abilities to lead, to demonstrate this gospel work to you and to, to each other and to encourage each other with Scripture and to teach God's Word. But we are much a part of this family on the level that your family as you are. Christ is the head of the church. We're following His lead in all of this. Together we're the body, following Christ, the head of the church. And if we see it that way, then you have to understand, we're going to get into this in more detail in the fall, but you have to understand as the core group, you are ministers. You are to shepherd one another with the gospel. You are to point each other in DNA and in missional community to the gospel. You are to go and make disciples. You're a disciple maker. We are not setting up an organization that we teach you guys so you can have some knowledge and then we do all the work. I didn't sign up for that. I don't know if you guys thought that. I'm not doing that. That's not the church. I don't know what that is. It's an it's a organization. It's not the program. It's, uh, we want to put that completely out there so you know. You are being called to what Christ has called you to do. He said, follow me, deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Not in that order, but it's not important. Come after me and you're losing everything. You lose your life to gain it. This is, these are hard words that we can't ignore. This is the gospel. That God has done the work to save you and buy you back from the old you. You're not that person anymore. The new you has been called to something. So we're going to call you to it because Christ, our head, has called us to it. That is what we're doing here. And that has to be clear, especially for the core group. We have to grasp this is everything. You are giving everything to this. It's not, I'll make some time for it. It's all of your time is this. It's not, I think I can fit that into my schedule. Your schedule is around this. You are the church. Everything you do, everything you are. It's this. We have to get that. And the best way we can see that is to identify as family. We're all in this together, all right? I think um, that's about as clear as I can make it. It's a, it's a big deal. And I, I really, I think the reason we don't get it is because we're in the minority as far as what Christians in the world experience. Some 70% of the world Christians are under persecution, and we're just not. And so we don't, we don't sense the urgency. We don't feel the cost. We don't feel like we're risking anything. But this is, this is real. This is what we're called to do. And you can't do it alone. That's why we're doing it as family. So we have DNA, which is discipleship, nurturing, accountability. We're discovering the Word of God. We nurture ourselves with the Word of God. And we move to action because the Word of God calls us to. This is not about what we do. It's about who we are. Our being supersedes our doing. And because Christ has made us in His image and is restoring that image, we do things. It's not this false idea of Christianity where you do this, you do this, you do this, and you don't do these things. That way you can be this. That's not it. It's God has made you something. He's restoring you to something. And because of who you are, you do. And you don't do. Because of who you are. So this is all a question of identity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. This is who 
we identify with. That is what it means to be the church. It's not a shift in your methodology. And that was a mistake I made early on in this, is I kept thinking, we're just shifting how we're doing this. It's, this is not a shift in what we're doing. This is at, at our core. This is at our foundation. This is a theological shift. Who is God? That's what theology is. Who is God? And when we see who God is, we can see who the church is. And so that's what we're doing. None of that counts as the sermon. So if you're going to time me, start now. Because it's going to be long if you count all of it. All right. If it's weird to you that I drink water, I'm not sorry. All right. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for truth, for your word, that you would move in us, that you would work in us, that you would take us as we are, that as family we could join together and be active in this mission you've called us to be because of who you've made us. That that Christ became sin so that we could know righteousness. God, we thank you that the gospel is true, that while we were enemies and far from our Heavenly Father, you reached out and saved us and brought us near and are faithful even when we're not faithful, that your mercies are new every day, that you are faithful to change us as individuals and unite us as a family, that we could be servants and missionaries to our city, people who shepherd each other, gospel each other. God, we're so grateful that you are God. Remind us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, the church, family. Um, God is about His glory and He has chosen to use His body, the church, to display that to the world that needs it. And we are chosen by Him to be in His family, to be His missionaries, to be servants of one another, servants of God as the body of Christ. And that is why we see Christ as our head. Woo! Glory. That was a little Pentecostal. Okay. Um, As the body, as we are family, uh, we are brothers and sisters. And that is something significant because it's different than everything else. We are family, brothers and sisters forever. Okay, Sandlot. We are brothers and sisters forever. We have been brought into a family that for the rest of forever we are in. That's huge. We are each other's brothers and sisters for eternity. There's never going to be a time when we're not brothers and sisters anymore. What does that all mean to us, right? Because we unite over things. We have blood, siblings, blood family, and we see it in that way sometimes. But this is bigger than that, and I want to be careful not to confuse this because I'm not saying neglect your your earthly family so that you can be in, in this family. That's the Christianity altogether, that's not the idea. In some cases, you see that with, when people unite around religion or unite around race or unite around um, athletic teams. We want to say, love all those who are for this, hate everybody else. That's not Christianity. We love even our enemies. So we love everyone. We need to be active in this love. We need to be reaching the lost as if they are long lost brothers and sisters. Because all people are created in the image of God. And God desires to save. And He uses His body to bring the gospel to save. That's how it works. So we go after the lost. We treat them as if they're family. They're just not family yet. And that really needs to be how we see it. And then we see each other, the family of God, 
as deep, intimate siblings who we are open with everything about. We are open, and, and so the gospel can shine into the deepest, darkest places of our lives, exposing the things that don't belong, calling each other out, holding each other accountable, encouraging each other in the faith, all in love. That is what it's supposed to look like. But we're going to break it down some more, and I think it's best if we um, think of examples and we look at Scripture, and that's what preaching is supposed to be. So the application of the Word of God. And so Amelia is my wife. She's family. I love her a lot. Like, if you hurt my wife, I will punch you in the face. I didn't say that wasn't sinful. That's just my gut reaction. I love my wife. Don't mess with her because she's my family. In the same way, I would open up with her. I will give her anything. I would do anything for my wife. At the same time, I have a sister that lives in Elysian Fields, Texas, who I rarely see. Maybe, I don't know, three times a year I see her. And I have family in Plain Dealing. I don't know why they moved to Plain Dealing. It takes forever to get there. I mean, it used to be Bozier. It was easy. Now I've got to go way up north. Anyway, they're in Plain Dealing. I don't see them a lot, but I love them. They're my family. So if my sister is sad about something, I'm sad with her. If she is rejoicing in something, I rejoice with her. If she needs something, I go and I'll be there for her because she's family. There's nothing she did. There's nothing Amelia did to, to earn my affections. They're family. It's just what I do for my family. And hopefully you feel the same about yours, but our earthly families are all distorted with all kinds of sin. This gospel family, this family of God that we have been chosen to belong to is far different than anything you could unite over. Whether it's blood relative or a football team or whatever it is, this family of God is united around the gospel. And so we need to go to God's word and we need to look at what that, what that is. And so that's how we're going to start. I'm going to read through several passages. Some of them, not all of them, will be on the screen so you can follow. If you want to jot them down, you can. I'm not going to go slow enough for you to turn there. Um, but we need to see that all have sinned, all are in need of righteousness, and that we, have, we can only find that in Christ, and that's what unites us. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 uh, is what we're going to cover, but we'll start with just the first chunk. Um, it is what it's like before we're family and how it came about that we are family. Verse 1, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you were once, once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So this is who we were. Very important we talk past tense there. We were children of wrath, longing to fill the passions, the lusts of our flesh, carrying out these things in disobedience and rebellion to God for the same reasons anyone would sin, trying to fill this void, trying to fill this selfish desire, knowing you need something more. We're searching after this under God's wrath until Christ stepped in. So starting in verse 4, but God, this is, I've heard this say, this is the biggest but in Scripture. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is our hope. That Christ has done what was necessary to bring us into this family, so that that when we see Kendrick... We don't see the good things Kendrick does. We don't see the bad things Kendrick does. We see Kendrick clothed in Christ as a brother. Because I am God's. You are God's. We are family. Through the work of Christ. Not anything you've done. Not anything you could possibly earn or deserve. But because God loved. Because God is rich in mercy. That is why we're family. In 2 Corinthians 5. We see this laid out to maybe the most wicked and self-indulgent people in history. Paul writes this letter to Corinth and he tells them, the love of Christ controls you. The love of Christ compels you to be what you are, to do what you do. It's not under your control, but Christ has saved you. Christ is moving in you and, and Christ has compelled you to see what you did not see before. He's opened your eyes. He's revived your dead body and He has made you God's reconciled to our heavenly father and as reconciled brothers and sisters of Christ we are ministers of reconciliation ambassadors for this God we carry this good news with us everywhere we go so that God would save more and that's what he's laying out in that passage the old you is gone this new you doesn't do the things the old you used to do that is the picture of the gospel at work reconciling us to God and then through Christ we're given right belonging to God we see in John chapter 1 verses 11 through 13 Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of flesh nor of the will of man but of God God has done the work through Christ. For all who believe, we have been given the right to be children of God. Not only are we God's, but He has chosen to make us His. Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed, blessed or blessed, if you don't like that Ed pronounced. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, as even as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption. We're adopted as sons and daughters through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. We have been chosen to be a part of this family, and we know we are His by our love and by our repentance. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seeds abide in Him, and He cannot keep on sinning because He has been born of God. 
By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. You may have physical, actual blood brothers, spiritual brothers that you don't love. You don't actively demonstrate love to according to the word of God. If you do not love your brother, then you don't understand the grace of God. You don't know the righteousness of God. You've not seen this active in your life. That's something to repent of. That's something to trust in God. So how do we know we belong? How do we know we're part of the family? Well, we love as we've been loved. We demonstrate grace as we have been demonstrated grace. We see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And we're, we're desiring to repent of our old self. We don't want to be who we were because we see we've been made something new. So this is what it looks like to be in the family of God. And then Jesus makes it clear in Luke chapter 8. He shows us how we should see this new family. Then his mother and his brothers came to him. This is his blood relatives. But they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Beautiful. We are gods because we hear His word and we obey it. But we can only do that because of who He has made us. We are gods. We're His brother. We're brothers with Christ, co-heirs with Christ, brothers of each other, being conformed into His image, being called to be much more than what we've been. And so what you should understand right now as we've walked through all those is that you are absolutely not responsible for who you are. You don't deserve to be a part of this family, but God has adopted you and saved you to Himself for His glory, for us to worship and praise Him. He's restoring you to the image we were created to be. And as, we've, as we're seeing that image restored, we become these missionary servants and we see that we're in the family of God. But then what? And this is where we're going to walk through Scripture. So go with me to Romans chapter 12. We've kind of gone through some of this in our missional community time through that Porter Brooks study. Hopefully you guys are doing that. It is good. It's rich in truth. It's rich in theology. It shows us who we are. It shows us who God is. And it just lays out what missional community is, but it also lays out for us what Christianity looks like. And we need to know that. Uh, so hopefully you have it and you're going through it, not just uh, to be a part of the study, but to edify yourself with God's Word. We're going to look at chapter 12 of Romans, verses 9 through 18. Uh, we'll go slow at first, and then we'll just kind of go through the rest of it. I'm not sure how long this will take, but probably under an hour. I'm just kidding. It, it will definitely be under an hour. Uh, we want to start with this beautiful truth. It's kind of interesting. We'll talk about why. Verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor or hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. So we'll stop there. Let love be genuine, 
Love is this action. We are actively loving. We demonstrate love as Christ has demonstrated love, even to the point of giving up our lives. But he also, in verse 10, tells us to love one another with brotherly affection. It's interesting because affection is an emotion. I have an affection for my wife. I have an affection for delicious pizza. I have an affection for a good time. Whatever it might be. I'm just saying. I like a good time. An affection is an emotion, but this is a command to experience an emotion. It's hard to fake emotions. And I think the best way to see that is embarrassment. Like, if you, if you blush, you can't make that go away. Right? Like, I can, you can... I look angry right now. He's angry. Or he's happy, even though I'm dying inside. He looks happy. But that emotion of embarrassment, you can't hide that, right? You probably think of examples in your life where you wish you could have. Emotion is something that we can try and fake, but really you can't deny it and you can't create it. You can be so angry about something and not want to be angry, but you just can't help it, right? You can start laughing about something uncontrollably. There's someone in here who does that a lot. And not be able to stop it, but you want to because it's starting to be awkward. You know what I'm saying? So these emotions are things that we don't necessarily control. If we're going to obey a command, how can it be an emotion? But I think is interesting about it is, is it's not something we can control for a reason. God stirs in us an affection for Him. He stirs in us an affection for others when we understand His affection for us. When we can see that God not only actively loves us and blesses us, but He delights in us. That's so far from anything we can understand because we hate ourselves so often, or at least I do. I see my flaws. I see my failure to get up and read my Bible. I'm, I'm so trained to believe God loves me more when I do stuff right and he, He's angry or disappointed with me when I fail. That's not our God. He delights in you as you are. And that should drive you to respond with a gratefulness, an understanding of His love. You respond with an affection for more of Him. I don't get up and read so that God doesn't get mad at me. I get up and read because I love Him with a deep affection. And He's called us to love each other in that way. This is beautiful. It's amazingly freeing. It's so freeing to know our God, creator of all things, delights in us. It's not the Kendrick that I want to be that he delights in. It's not the Kendrick that I'll be in five years when I'm really disciplined and work hard at it. He loves me as I am because he loves me. That's the only condition. There's not even conditions. That's the irony of what I just said. He loves me because he loves me. And that's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to do for one another. An impossible thing that God does because he does impossible things. And so as we meditate on this, let love be genuine. What I need you to see is that we let our love be genuine in our family as we make disciples. And so we want our family to grow as everyone wants their family to grow. Maybe you're weird and you're like, just me and my wife. We're never having kids or anything. But that's weird and wrong. Don't be that way. Adopt. I mean, do what you can. Anyway, um, we want our family to grow, so we bring this gospel news to others. And if, 
You have those people like I do, Christians, brothers and sisters who annoy you. I mean, let's just be real. For some in this room, you know who you are. I'm just kidding. I don't know if you know. I'll tell you. I'll tell you who you are. I wrote a list of names. Jesse, you are. I'm just kidding. All right. You have those Christians in your life who annoy you, right? Okay. If you don't, then we don't need to talk about this. I'll just keep going. You have those people that rub you the wrong way, that push your buttons. I don't even they just walk in the room. They didn't even do anything. You're just like, ah, oh, oh, they're here. You are called to love them with a brotherly affection, to let your love be genuine. And so what I what I think that looks like is we see sinners, as we all are, and we tell them about their sin, but not in a way that's like. Like if I come to you and I say, hey man, I noticed that you're failing to believe the gospel right here. Your response shouldn't be, oh yeah, well you, remember when you, you did this. I'm going to write up everything you did wrong and then I'll give you that and see how bad my deal is. That's a bad response. If you have someone who enters the room and they drive you crazy, the best thing you should do is go to them and tell them that you love them. Show them that you love them by serving them, by giving them the time. The people that are the most hungry for affection, let me let you in on this. It's a big secret. The people that are most hungry for affection, you know, those kids who want all your attention, those people that are hungry for that are hungry for it, so give it to them. What? No, because it'll just show them they can do it all the time. That's a ridiculous thing. And I learned this working in camp ministry. You got those kids that come, and just right away you know who the annoying kid's going to be for the week. You didn't know. This is what counselors think about. You know who it's going to be, and you kind of avoid them, or you act like they're not that funny, or you just you naturally don't want to give them the attention they're hungry for. But what I learned is when I give them that attention, they, they respond beautifully. They open up to me. They show me why they're hungry, even if they don't use the words, hey, my dad doesn't love me. We get to experience that together. So I get to know them in a deep, intimate way because I've taken the time to give them what they're so hungry for, affection. And the reason they're hungry is because they're not getting it from home. Their parents don't demonstrate love to them or whatever it was. Many kids, many different things. Maybe they're being bullied. But consider people in your life. Go outside of your selfish desires and consider what they need and love them with a brotherly affection. Let me let you in on this, okay? I don't know if you know that I know you're a sinner. You are incredibly sinful. I am too. You have insecurities. This is this should free you right now. I know that every person in here is insecure. And you fake and you put on a, a mask and you try to hide insecurities. I know you're insecure. Everyone is. I know that you sin. Everyone does. I know that you need a Savior. Everyone does. I know that you can't control your life. I know that you need somebody to take that control that can. I know that you're seeking satisfaction in the world, whether it's food, whether it's drugs, whatever it is, whether it's being a fan of something, whatever it is, I know that you're hungry for something beyond you. It's, it's exposed right now, okay? We're all in that together. Let's talk about it. We're brothers and we're sisters. We're family. Love each other genuinely with a brotherly affection and quit faking 
like you're not broken. Quit pretending that you don't need a Savior. We all need this. It's not a secret. All right. Not only should we understand that we're family and be genuine in our love as, as we make disciples of one another and of others and we gospel and shepherd one, one another, but we also should be genuine in our love and our worship. God has designed us to worship Him. That's what we are created to be. And so instead, we worship everything else. Uh, we worship ourselves, namely, but we also rally around things. I, I've pointed out football several times. I just can't help it because I'm one of them. I'm one of the worshipers of football. My name is Kendrick. Hi, Kendrick. I worship football every fall. I hate it. I hate that I do that. I need you to hold me accountable to not do that. Lovingly. And people not only rally around things, and it's probably not football for everybody. I don't know, maybe it is. Um, But we rally around things. We see this often. And right now in America, spotlights shine different times of the year, whatever's going on. And if you haven't heard about Ferguson... There's some things going on there. People are rallied around. If you haven't heard about the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge, I don't know where you've been. (laughs) There's people rallied around that. And these aren't necessarily bad things. We should fight injustice. We should should, uh, go and support good causes. We should be a people who want restoration, but we need to be a people who understand it comes through the gospel. It happens because of what Christ has done. And when we rally around those things and we create brotherhoods and we create uh, camaraderie around stuff like football and sports teams, it's weak. I'm not, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I'm not going to take a bullet for a Dallas Cowboys fan. Although when I see them in public, I'll say, how about them Cowboys? When I hear Saints fans say, who that said they're going to beat them Saints? I'll respond, how about them Cowboys? But I'm not family with Dallas Cowboys fans like I am with you guys. This is way different. We need to separate ourselves from those things. Stop worshiping stuff. Stop worshiping football. Stop worshiping shopping. Stop worshiping education. Stop worshiping your blood family. These, some of these things are good. We, blood family is good. Education is a good thing. We're not designed to worship those things. We worship God. Everything centers around the worship of God. So we need to be genuine in our love for people. And we need to be genuine in our love for God. So what's, what's more is not only are we genuine in our love, but we hate what is evil. And that's tough. We need to make war against our sin. And this passage, it, it follows, yes, the individual things that God has done, but also the things He's done to make the individuals a body. And so I've always read this passage as, for me, I need to let my love be genuine. I need to love my brothers. But it's also hate evil with the body. Love your brothers with the body. We are a family and we should hate evil together. Because the thing about sin that you don't see in your life is that you don't see it. You need your brothers to call it out. You need each other. We need each other to point each other to the gospel, to call each other to this mission, Because there's things we just can't see about us. We have blind spots. And we have to be the family as we love one another and as we hate evil. All right. I have a story there, but we'll skip it. 
It's entertaining, but I'll tell you later maybe. Sin destroys lives, and it's an offense to our Father. So we hate what's evil, and then we cling to what is good. You have to replace the evil with good, otherwise you just fill it with more evil. I stop worshiping football, and I don't start worshiping God. I'm going to worship something else. So we get that out, and we fill it in with what is good. We cling to it. We're, we are incredibly flawed, incredibly sinful, and we're going to sin. So we cling to what is good. Alright, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And again, this is dependent on the Spirit working in you. To not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Do these things because of who you are. Verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. It's imperative that we see that this is altogether one thing. We can't say rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, constant prayer, separate things because it absolutely goes together. The circumstances can get grim. Things go bad. You get bad diagnosis. You you lose loved ones. You um, are abandoned. You are hurt. You are lonely. Uh, You're unemployed. You feel like there's no hope at all. Well, there is hope. Rejoice in it. It's a hope that is sure. It's not, it's not this wishful thinking the world tries to feed us. It's not, I'm going to juggle chainsaws and hope I don't cut myself. Okay, This is a hope that is sure. God has already done the work. Christ has already conquered death. It's a process of restoration that is sure. It will happen. So rejoice in that good news. Rejoice in the hope and allow that to give you patience when things are tough. The hope that you know is sure gives you patience and tribulation. And the only way it's possible, as with all of this, is when we seek God, we pray, we ask God to move, we ask Him to remind us of the hope. We ask Him to save the lost. We ask Him to restore us in ways that we don't even know we need restoring. And let's finish this out, verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So we see hospitality, blessings, sympathy, humility, unity, peacemaking, all of that in there as markers of the family of God. We care for one another. We bless one another beyond what we think anyone deserves because that's what a blessing is. We sympathize with one another. We we are humble in all of this. We never think we know it all. We just desperately want others to join us in our family. And we have unity within the family because we're willing to be open and honest. And we seek peace whenever that unity isn't there. That's a marker. Those are all markers of the family of God. Brothers and sisters forever in Christ. Mourn together. Celebrate together. Serve together. Eat together. Do these things together as families. We're We're on mission together because we believe our God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And He's restoring us to that identity. So when we consider our response to all of this, you may be thinking, I don't have time for that. 
And just to be honest, that's a lot of stuff I don't have time for. Well, we're not, we're not asking you to make time for it. And, and God's not asking you to make time for it. You're, you're giving all of your time to this. That's, that's the command. That's the mandate. It's not, it's not even negotiable. It's not even, well, can I have just like a few minutes a day? It's not, uh, okay, I'm family on Sunday morning and I'm family sometime during the week for missional community and I'm family kind of in DNA time. But the rest of the time I'm me. No, you're this all the time. You're always family. We have to learn what this means because we're called to be that, but not in our own will, but by believing that God is making us that. That is the gospel. That is our identity. That is what we're being called to be. And just a moment of vulnerability for me. Some of you have heard my story, specifically the part where I, didn't, I don't have an earthly father that's a part of my life. He's very distant. He's very checked out. He left when I was two years old and maybe peeked in every once in a while to give me a gift for my birthday, that kind of dad. And then I have a stepdad who has made a lot of mistakes because he had horrible examples of father. And this is a cycle that I hope to end trusting in God. And, and people screw up because they're people. My my biological dad and my stepdad failed because they're human. And I've been demonstrated grace by God, and so I can demonstrate grace to them. And not only has God been faithful to put men in my life to demonstrate what a father looks like, to demonstrate what a husband looks like, but recently I've been blessed with this opportunity that's terrifying, actually, but God has blessed me and Amelia with this opportunity for me to experience fatherhood. And around March of next year, I'm going to be a father of a kid. (laughs) 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 And I will certainly fail. I will certainly make mistakes. Not utterly fail. I'm hopefully going to do something right. But I I will mess up. But even in that, I look forward to the opportunity to demonstrate repentance to my kid that my dad has yet to demonstrate to me. I look forward to demonstrate grace to my kid that God has demonstrated to me. It's amazing. Because this is how gracious our God is. This is how good our God is. That he restores what's broken. All right, so it's with joy, it's with joy and with peace that we freely worship our God, our Heavenly Father, and we're going to do that as the band comes back up, and we're going to take communion and remember the work that had to be done so that we could do this, and we're going to stand as family, and we're going to sing praises to our God, and then we're going to leave here and remember we're still family when you walk out of this building. And we go to this world as missionary servants and as family. And I have some questions that I want you to discuss in missional community, and I'll send those to you. I'm not going to read them now. But we have to remember constantly, we remind each other of the gospel. We remind each other that this is true, that we are being conformed to the image of Christ, restored to what we've created to be. But until glory, until we are glorified, We work hard 
because of who we are. Let's pray.